Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 173. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are a couple of pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. This is actually part two of our interview with Evan Oldford. If you remember, Evan is a senior director of an escalations group within Cisco. And he's also author of a book called Ghost Rules, Unspoken Secrets of Getting Ahead. Last week in episode 172, which I highly recommend listening to if you haven't already, we talked to Evan about some early internships he did and a decision point between getting into the workforce and continuing his school. He spoke about the software development industry and how one might break into it. He also shared his experiences through multiple acquisitions, and we find that Evan had some very good managers that actually encouraged him to come be a part of another company that they joined. One of my favorite things in that episode last week was this idea of the daily report as part of a shutdown routine to help lower your anxiety. I keep thinking about that and how I might implement it and what I do, and I feel like I feel like I do have a shutdown routine in which I email myself a to-do list that needs to be acted upon the next day, but maybe it's time to take that to the next level. So this week, what do we have in store? The first question I would ask you to consider is, are you protecting your sleep? If you're like me, you probably aren't getting enough sleep most of the time, or some of the time at least. So Evan's going to give us some tips on how we might be able to do that a little bit better. Maybe you, like many others, are also plagued by perfectionism. Are there some ways that we can help fight or combat the inner perfectionist and get to what I might call good enough? What is the difference between time management and bandwidth management? And no, I don't mean gigabits per second in this case. And we've heard a lot of people come on the show and share advice on documenting our work and our achievements as a way to help show our management teams what we've been up to and a way to get promoted. But what's really cool about this interview is Evan's going to share a little bit more of the how. How do you document it? Is there a framework or a format you can use? And the answer is, yes, there is. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get to it with part two and the conclusion of our interviews with Evan Oldford. do a lot of podcasts and a number of people who kind of highlight being mindful and everything they talk about journaling and it's like i should start this wait i already do this and so it, i kind of connected the dots and i was like okay well maybe this is why i'm able to sleep so well at night well it's interesting because sleep is another thing you talk about in your book that we should try to protect it i mean i don't know about you but seems like lack of sleep is even more prevalent since the pandemic hit and the feeling that 
work days have just become longer. For those of us who have a lot of remote meetings, they're just more meetings. Absolutely. Than there were before. What What have you done, Evan, to help prioritize your sleep? Well, you have to schedule it. I forget who said this, but if you want to do something, you put it onto your calendar. I actually do have a block on my calendar when I tell myself I need to go to bed. With the pandemic, I think the lines between work and home get really blurry. Being able to build those or set those boundaries on, okay, this is when I'm going to be on, this is when I'm going to be off. And there is some tension sometimes there, but for the most part, you can set ground rules on where you can implement those boundaries. And you need to be able to be comfortable to be able to do that. Of course, you need to ensure that you're accessible for a large portion, but the one thing you cannot compromise on is sleep. I have that scheduled on my Outlook calendar. Now, do I go to bed right then all the time? Probably not, but that's my intention. And if you don't set the intention, then you might not you might not follow any kind of routine and you end up, you know, like some of us who are like, okay, you know, I'm going to go to bed. It's 11 o'clock or, you know, I actually stayed up to one and this fluctuation in the bedtime and possibly the wake time can actually give you jet lag. According to sleep psychologist, Michael Bruce, who wrote the power of when speaking of books, uh, I highly recommend why we sleep is another excellent book and it'll make you actually want to go to bed in a good way. He he outlines a number of ways people sabotage their own sleep and stuff like that. And so I'm a big fan of sleep. Does this mean I have to decrease my coffee intake, Evan? Because if it does, I'm going to have trouble. Absolutely. Opportunity for improvement then. If I'm someone who it's about time for me to go to sleep and I just like can't shut my brain down, is that where you rely on the routine, the shutdown routine or, or some other tactic? I So the good news is if you do the routine, you generally don't get ruminating and wrapped up and you're all amped up. You're, you feel like you're done. You've It's out of your head. But I do find when I have my mind is racing and uh, on a topic, I do find it is best just to start writing it down to kind of get it out. And it seems to short circuit and stop that racing. If I choose to go to bed and get a reasonable amount of sleep, right? Instead of finishing the task that night, how does the sleep you got make up for the work you didn't do? I don't know about you, but my inbox of to-do list never goes to zero. So trying to strive to that, uh, you kind of have to embrace. It will be there in the morning. And certainly there are deadlines where you have to press through and cross up. But generally understand that there will always be more work. And work generates more work. Just hit pause. Know that it, it's going to be there. Actually, I do find sometimes I'll intentionally work on a technical problem or something like that before I go to bed, knowing that I can't solve it. And I do find that usually in the morning I, I have some sort of epiphany and breakthrough on that. And so I, I find all roads lead to sleep. That's that subconscious deep work your brain's doing, right? Yep. That's so cool. I find that, at least for me, it seems like the times I'm fighting the hardest to push forward and finish this thing rather than sleep is probably the time I need the sleep more than I need to do the thing. Unless it's, like you said, burning down the house, deadline, I must hit this, there's no flexibility, then, well, you just 
press on, right? Brew the yep. coffee, keep going, right? <laughs> or maybe don't brew the coffee, just keep going. That point you made about it'll still be there tomorrow goes in line really well with your idea in the book of achieving work that's good enough. Can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts there? I think most people, I myself, do have that inner perfectionist where they need to get everything just right. When you look at it, you have to kind of prioritize what is most important because typically in a very dynamic environment, you cannot do all the work on your to-do list to the standard of perfection. And so you have to be able to figure out, okay, is an 80% solution to this good enough? Some individuals will keep polishing that nugget over and over. And frankly, it's just good enough. And so it frees up some more bandwidth because there are certain projects where you need to go deep and you need to have the precision on it. So you can focus on that. That is a higher priority. And I would say on a task, you kind of have to look and see, is this acceptable? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But is it acceptable? So that you can put that aside and get on to the, the next thing. And I find individuals, they, they get wrapped up with kind of that perfectionism and they do really good work, but on a smaller body. And speaking of other books, Seth Godin's book, uh, The Practice, kind of highlights that as well. You want to be shipping your work and so uh, be able to go and get a good volume through. And you have to be able to hit pause on your inner critic and be okay with that. So that way you have more bandwidth to do the important and deeper work on the things that are most important. Are there any specific things that you've had to do to silence the inner perfectionist? Oh, it it is. It's tough. I know that I'll go into a bit of code and you know, like if it's not formatted right, now, I'll have to reformat it. Is that a good use of time? Absolutely not. And so it it's a struggle. But I think you, you have to go and look at it and say the result that you're looking to get at the end of that task, find out where it is mentally in the priority. And so is this a high priority, low priority, or is this just kind of confetti work here? And so, yeah, you kind of have to take a step back and look at that perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, bandwidth, maybe more so than time management. Yep. Can you just comment on what you mean by the difference? The science and techniques on time management, there, there are many you can use, like Pomodoro technique and all kinds of different ways of productivity on kind of slicing and dicing your time. But the bandwidth comes to, okay, mentally and kind of what can you accomplish in that. And so if you focus on, okay, what is going to be zapping your mental energy? Could be a cognitive task to complete that there's only a fixed amount there in the day that you have. And so you want to be able to exploit that bandwidth as much as you can. And so uh, this is maybe one technique I highlight in the book is around a routine, certain routines that maybe take time and energy, mental energy to do. You come up with a system to short circuit that so that way you can not spend as much mental calories the one example, marquee example, if you look at Steve Jobs, why did he always wear a black turtleneck? Not necessarily because it was fashionable, but he spent his mental energy on creativity versus 
what is he going to wear the next day? And so I think it, that all ties in with your mental bandwidth and the overall bandwidth. And this reminds me of Chasing Excellence by Ben Bergeron, where he talks about the cycling team who wanted to get 1% more efficient, and they felt like they would hands down destroy the competition. And so they looked at the kinds of pillows, the way they wash their hands, this aggregation of marginal gains, even though it seems like picky and simple, you know, you, you may be like, oh, well, that's Steve Jobs. Well, is it is it that crazy? I'm no Steve Jobs, but uh, one thing I do in our household, we have a meal calendar that helps. And so at dinner time, we don't say to each other, what's for dinner? Because we've already planned it out. It's already got the ingredients from the grocery. You don't use as much mental energy to try and figure out what's going to be on the dinner table. And so that was another routine. Yeah, that's that's good. The routines just bring a form of comfort, really. It takes you out of the, okay, there's nothing unexpected. I know exactly what to expect because this is part of the routine. It's kind of like, you know, my daughter and I have a specific bedtime routine that we do. And that's just, and when it doesn't happen when it's supposed to, it's like, oh, why are we not doing this? It's It's different. A lot of people will say, document your work, your accomplishments. You need this for a promotion. So you can give it to your manager and they can make the case for you. But in your book, you actually tell us not only what, but how. Can you extrapolate on that a bit? I actually came up with a kind of a worksheet of sorts and to break down on collecting that portfolio of work. The end result of the career accomplishments document it is actually something you can cut, literally cut and paste into a promotion, onto a resume. It is of that fidelity there. But in order to get to that, there's a lot of work and things to unpack. And so within that, I have, okay, what are your strengths? What are your areas, uh, your kryptonite? Uh, what's going to draw your energy? What are the problems you're solving? What are some of the stats that you want to accomplish? Uh, and just working through that, I found is a, a helpful way to add structure to collecting all the activities that you're doing and be able to distill it down and put it into the document. Because invariably, if you stay at a role long enough, you'll be come up for a promotion or something like that. Or even, eh, let's just say you're switching roles and you have to ready your resume. Relying on your memory on all the things that you've done is not effective. Can't remember it to a good degree and you end up with just a so-so a accomplishment. Most people will label their responsibilities. They don't highlight, okay, what did they accomplish? How well did they do it? How did they do it? And so I find the way of capturing it on a regular basis. And when I say regular, I do it on a monthly basis on my career accomplishment document. And it's never done. It is a practice so that I don't have to only rely on my memory. Some of the projects, if you were trying to do that, are a year, two years old, and your memory is not that good. Yeah, monthly basis. That's pretty good. So part of the routine, something you put on your calendar, I'm guessing, right? You're a calendar yeah. guy. Yep. I believe it's the first Wednesday of the month. I block off about an hour to go and do that. Nice. And how long have you been doing this practice, Evan, just for to give people perspective? I picked up some of this from the Manager Tools podcast. They suggested it a little bit. I'm trying to think. 
it's probably going on a decade or so. And it's actually kind of fun looking back at what I've accomplished, but also uh, in some portions uh, I've highlighted goals. And it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you put it down there, subconsciously, your brain starts wiring ways to make that happen. And so it, it's kind of a fun thing to go back and look at something that was seven, eight years old and be like, that, that was a really cool accomplishment. And it kind of helps you find your gratitude, right? I'm thankful to get to do this work. I'm thankful I was able to fulfill that goal, finish these tasks, and maybe I didn't. Maybe that goal was something that I thought was completely impossible or not that possible for me to reach, but I did. Yeah, I'm a big fan of gratitude, and but more than just the gratitude, just the sense of accomplishment helps energize you. Absolutely. And what what is the reasoning behind why we should list our weaknesses? I mean, I thought this was supposed to be something that highlighted all the great stuff we've done. You are absolutely right. Even the best athlete has areas where they want to be focusing on. So this is a little bit of self-inspection on, okay, this is where I know I'm good at, and this is maybe where I'm not so good at, following kind of Marcus Buckingham and leveraging your strengths. But if you know and you're aware enough on what is not where you're not strong at, sometimes you can have a candid conversation with your manager, and you may say, this is maybe not necessarily I highlight in the book as your kryptonite. This is something that draws my energy. There may be another person in the team that actually loves that part of the job. And it's a win-win. You can do that with your manager or even, I would say, find that individual yourself. It's going back to why do you want to build those relationships? You may find something that someone's incredibly good at and you can kind of pair with them to be able to accomplish that. I would also say that with the development area is you should still be working on it. It is not necessarily where you're going to capitalize. It, it, this That is not going to give you a promotion if you work on it, but it's probably something that will keep you from it. And so you should be able to be working on that area and demonstrate how you're maybe making progress in that area as well. And would the would the progress in a development area, would that also be something that's a candidate for your daily update? Not necessarily okay. so much. Uh, now, that can work into just kind of your overall journaling. Typically, the daily update is uh, a little bit more. So it, it could. Uh, let's just say if you, there's something that you learn that other people can benefit from. So you could do that. But I probably wouldn't be focusing that avenue for that update. Got it. Yeah, just ask so people can clarify in their minds. And I, I like what you said about finding someone else who maybe something you despise or draws your energy as a strength for someone else. You also talk about delegation and learning how to do that in the book. And I think that that maybe lends itself to being able to better delegate tasks. Yes. Depending on what hat you're wearing for delegating, I think it from the managerial hat, recognizing that when you delegate, you are still accountable for the result. You're not necessarily off the hook. You're relying on someone else to be able to follow up and complete it. But it is still up to you to follow, make sure that it's going to be accomplished, delivered on time to the standard. That's part that you need to do. Also, 
some tasks you may want to delegate to the floor where there is not any value. And there are times when you have a report or a task that maybe you're doing and not quite sure if anyone's reading it or anything like that. And so there are times where you may want to say this is not of value right now and you stop doing that and be interesting to f find how much you you can do on that and you can actually just stop doing it and see if no one actually cares and responds. So I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Speaking of not doing things, sometimes we have to lay things down and stop doing things that we've done for a long time. And you get this sense of loss aversion sometimes like oh but the, like this is a part of who i am and i've been doing it for so long like i led this community group for so long or i've been ingrained in in this social circle for so long i can't stop here but maybe you have found that you really need to any thoughts on that psychological impact it's tough it's tough letting go i think this is where sometimes you have to take a step back and assess okay it is a priority, but it may be below the line of priorities. And so, and in some cases, you may just have to say, I'm putting it to the side for because it is number 13 on the top 10 list of priorities. And so you'll want to be focusing on where are things important. Do you think people have this uh, perception that if they've listed something as, okay, I've been doing this for so long, and then they take it off the the worksheet, right? You take it out of the worksheet because you're not doing it anymore. It feels to me like there's this sense of, oh, well, I'm I'm doing less now. Doesn't that look bad? It goes to that bandwidth management so that it fills in another area. So some people just continue to do that and they feel like they should get rewarded for continuing to do that. But it still goes back to it might not be valued anymore. You are absolutely right. They are doing less, but they're not delivering additional value by doing that anyway. So you just freed up a big chunk of time. Yeah. It goes back to our discussion earlier about value to the organization. And of course, you could extend that to greater technology community, your family, all the things, right? That's good. Absolutely. One thing maybe we dove in too quickly earlier, because I didn't give you a chance, Evan, to share with us how this book came to be and what made you want to become a writer. I didn't set off to create a book. I initially was working on building content for one of my offsites for my team. And one of the questions I get, or I got all the time was, what do I need to get promoted? And I have my thoughts and my perspectives. And I wrote that down on the first chapter, or I wrote it down on my first document on that. And it, I shared it with my wife and she's like, you might want to run this by your HR partner. And I had a great relationship with my HR partner and I gave it to her and she was nodding her head and she's like, this is good. This is real good. You can't give it to your team. I'm like what? 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 Why not? Evidently, it felt it was a little bit too prescriptive and maybe formulaic in that someone would look at kind of what I outlined as something that they would be able to do and expect a promotion. And, and that's not the intent. And so I, I kind of took that and shelved the document because uh, I, after all, I had to plan an offsite. Then after that, I 
started getting some one-on-ones and just areas that where there's maybe friction and kind of learning from there and just capturing my thoughts. And I put that into another Google document and just kind of work on that. And then over a couple of years, I looked at this compendium and anthology of ideas and I was like, this is something I, I want to give back. And so I started pulling it together, working kind of chapter by chapter, and it really lent itself well to compartmentalize to really kind of succinct topics. I headed down that rabbit hole of becoming an author. And it, the great thing with the democratization of publishing these days, Amazon made it really, really easy on pulling it together. And so that was my start and kind of it headed down that path. And how long did it take that you recall from um, I'm working with an editor, publisher to, okay, I have a finished product? It was a couple of years. So I, I would say it was off and on. I probably pulled together the content probably about three years or so on the side. And on a weekend or something, I had an idea and it just wrote it down after I got it together where I was like, okay, I think this is a, a book. Yeah, kind of then working with the editor. I love my editor. She was brutally honest. She, I would say, eviscerated some chapters and I've, I rewrote some and she was absolutely right. She really helped hone some of the tone and content. It it was a fun process and hard, but I would say probably that was another year to kind of go through. And if you haven't read it, for those out there, it's not a super long read. I equate it to a small bottle of dish detergent, right? You can wash a lot of pots and pans with a little bit of detergent because it's so concentrated. And that's how I consider the advice in the book to be it covers a broad range of topics, you know, which is far more than what we've covered on the show today. So definitely check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. And, and I'm curious, Evan, do you have a favorite chapter or section of the book? I do, but it's kind of like children. You're not supposed to pick a favorite <laughs> one. Well, don't worry. We're not going to make you pick a favorite kid. I promise. Obviously, the first chapter or to getting ahead, kind of a, what, what you would do that that really kind of was the kickstarter that inspired all of this but if i were to choose one that i liked that seemed to flow best was ceilings so in your career there are many different ceilings that you'll bump into some of them are with respect to looking at where the structure of the business or kind of where you are that one felt really fun to write and i was really happy to to share that with folks Definitely a good chapter. I like it. Talks about breaking out of a bad situation, how to know if you need to stick it out or not. It's so thorough, yet you were able to keep an element of brevity that just blows my mind. So highly recommend. Two thumbs up from Nick Cordy. Go and read a copy of Ghost Rules. And we'll put your, if it's okay with you, Evan, we'll put your social media info in the show notes so people can follow up. Maybe they have questions. I love talking about it. I, I would love to be able to hear from people if they have questions on a section or thoughts on that. So I'd say follow me on LinkedIn and you can post the link there and connect there. I'm happy to share and just learn how either this helped or maybe there's a, 
certainly there are other areas that maybe you want to have a different perspective on. I'm happy to chat. And since you've now written a book, that's a big deal. Do you see yourself continuing to write maybe or? So yes, I do. And I don't have another book genre yet. I find the process to really kind of clarify the thought. This is a, a skill that everyone I think can work on and improve. Uh, the written communication is a good skill to have. I do plan on doing that a little bit more. I have a, another chapter that I am still working on. And it's called Reading the Room that I want to get in. It's not quite ready. And I may put it up on LinkedIn to get feedback from folks to see. But I, I think it, that's another thing I probably would augment and add to Ghost Rules. It's so hard. Like you, you put out version one and you immediately start to think about, oh, what does version two look like? I, I could see that. Yeah. As we as we get close to a close here, Evan, mm-hmm. let's go through any any parting thoughts you have or any thoughts maybe on the manager versus director lens. I would say really looking at how can I give back and clear obstacles uh, for my organization. And, and that's, I think, the big difference on those leadership positions is seeing how to invest more on the growth and the upward mobility of the organization. Any thoughts on what might be next in your career? I am loving what I'm doing. I wouldn't necessarily look at saying, hey, let's change it up. I think I'm fortunate. One question a lot of people say is, especially in a hot market where there's really generous compensation packages getting flaunted around, people often look to see, okay, what should I be doing next? What should I be looking for for my next gig? And my advice is to find a manager that is looking to invest in you. The technology is not as interesting from that perspective because it could be a cool company with cool technology, but if you have a jerk of or a boss, you're, there's no longevity there. You're not going to be happy with that look for that next chapter for your career, finding an awesome team that has got your back, a great manager who will invest in you and really give you the keys to be kind of driving career and stuff. And so I think that is where I would give that advice. Don't look at chasing that next big salary bump. Find that great manager. Right. It's not always about the money. In this market right now, there's some really, really big packages floating around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard of a lot of people making a change and getting big bumps. Yep. Well, well, listen, Evan, thank you so much for your time, for joining us on the podcast. And we look forward to hearing where you go from here. Appreciate it. I'm so thankful that you invited me on. And so I was happy to share my thoughts. anybody out there add go to bed to your calendar after you listen to that episode it's certainly tempting it seems like a very good idea i mean if we're going to set alarms to get up in the morning maybe we should set an alarm to go to bed or a calendar invite to remind us to go to bed setting that 
intention of what we should do is important. It doesn't necessarily mean we always do the thing, but if we haven't even set the intention, we might not really think about it. It, it gives you that level of awareness and mindfulness. Oh, this is something that's important that I should do. I liked what Evan had to say about good enough. That's something that I think a lot of people struggle with, and you learn situation by situation what good enough is going to be for that situation, but it takes time, it takes practice, and is what you're doing confetti work? Is it just extra that doesn't add as much value as you might think it does? And that if we put forth 100% effort in an area where 80% will do, we might actually accomplish less and not make the impact we had hoped in our role overall. Letting go. Have you ever delegated something to the floor or just let it go completely? According to Evan, this is more about the priority of the item in question or the task in question and less about loss aversion. I've heard people say that what we do isn't part of who we are. You need to be able to separate what you do from who you are. So instead of saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? You can ask yourself what you want to do when you grow up. Just because you stopped doing something doesn't have to impact your identity so heavily if it truly doesn't add value to you, those around you, and the people you want it to add value to. Be sure and get your free copy of the Career Accomplishment Worksheet that Evan put together. It's not gated. It's completely free download. You can use that as a framework to get started documenting your accomplishments, including your weaknesses. That's right. A little vulnerability never hurt anyone. And according to Evan, that might be an opportunity to collaborate with someone who has a strength in that area, or maybe even for delegation. It doesn't mean that we should ignore the weakness areas, but we should be mindful of them and how can we use those weaknesses to help ourselves and others? And what progress are we making on cleaning them up or raising our game in those areas? I always find it interesting to hear the motivations behind writing a book. And for Evan, it was a way to give back. You heard that it was a huge time commitment. Just like Scott Lowe told us in episode 152, he, as well as Evan, spoke about the value of written communication and how that can help clarify our thoughts and make us better communicators overall. If you remember, Evan said that he partnered with someone in HR when he first had this idea, which is definitely the way to go. He wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to get himself into trouble by publishing these things. If you need more insight into what an HR professional might do, every day and how they may have some unique insight into the company culture that that others don't check out episodes 49 and 50 with marissa ekberg i think those are a little bit underrated episodes but very good i think are tangential to this discussion i hope that at some point in your career you've had a great manager more often than not who was willing to invest in you and i i think i would agree with evan that a great manager that's willing to invest in you, your growth, it's hard to put a dollar amount on that, especially if you're moving from a very known, good, great manager to one that maybe you don't know as much about. It's very obvious that Evan found great managers who encouraged him to do more and encouraged him to 
change companies, for example, move to that startup that he spoke about in episode 172, and even to pursue leadership. We'll make sure the links to the career accomplishment document, as well as how to get your copy of Ghost Rules from Amazon, and Evan's list of suggested reading with ratings, put all that in the show notes. And remember, Evan also said that he would love to hear feedback. If you've read the book and have some feedback for him, he'd love to talk to you about it. Or if there's something that you want a different perspective on that he can help with, feel free to reach out to Evan. He's a great guy, very approachable, and happy to help others. Speaking of feedback... Just a reminder that we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, flying solo for now. From my buddy John White, at B Journeyman. signing off.